Hey, good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. Uh, don't those guys do a wonderful job of leading us in worship? Yeah. Hey, Ryan, you can turn this down just a hair. It seems like it's kind of wanting to feedback a little bit. Um, you know, I love that last song. It's great to hear your voices ringing it out. You know, think about the, the sufficiency we have in Jesus. You know, just for the moment, let that roll through your head. Christ is enough. All right, think about all, all your struggles. Think about your journey. Think about what you've been through. Think about what you're currently walking through. And then think about that statement, Christ is enough. Right? And, and at the moment, regardless of what we might be experiencing in life, we realize there is a God, a sovereign God who loves me. And at the end of this, I know I have a hope, a peace, a joy outside of my situation that I can, I can reference, I can have, right, in any given moment. I just think that's such a great truth that many times we forget. We take it for granted, I think. Maybe we just we hear it so often. Uh, but in life, it's important to just let that rest on us, the fact that there's a sufficiency in Jesus. He's accomplished something completely for us, right, outside of us. And that is, a, I think, an important thing to let resonate in us. This morning, as you saw the, the video, we're going to continue our series called Journey to the Cross. And if you notice a little snapshots, right, it's kind of like a Polaroid thing. Everyone think the walk-up was kind of cool? All right, we won't do that again because that was bad. But the idea is a snapshot, these little episodes. And we have Jesus on his journey, right, going to the cross. And we decided that we would we'd take some, some, just some snapshots. What did Jesus encounter? You know, why did he go through this? Why did he endure this situation? What is he communicating? What is he teaching to us? Um, and one of the things that you'll see, and really as you read the Gospels, you will see Jesus always kind of focusing on the three eternals. You always see, you see him having a focus on God, right? The three things that are eternal is God, his word, and people. And he, you see Jesus always focusing on this, right? Glorifying the, the Father, bringing glory to the Father, the Father glorifying the Son. The Trinity is always at work, the Spirit glorifying the Son. And they focus upon that, right? But then they talk about the Word, right? Jesus is the Word. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and he, was, he walked among us. He is Jesus, and it's very important to Jesus that he points us to this, right? the, the, to the understanding of Scripture. And when he walked the earth, it was the Old Testament. Then right when he's on the earth, they are writing, literally writing, following his death and resurrection. The New Testament becomes written after that. And we have his Word, so it's very important to him. And the last thing, the whole thing, right, us, you and I. For God so loved the world, he sent his Son that, that we might be saved. And so you see Jesus focusing. As you look at these little snapshots, you see this kind of resonant in him, right? The purpose and the journey. Why is Jesus going to the cross, right? For you and I, right? Ultimately to bring glory to the Father, right? That we would know him and his word. But ultimately for us, that we would have salvation. And this morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture taken from Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew 16. We're going to look at the first 12 verses out of that passage where Jesus is interacting with, he has actually really two interactions, uh, one with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then one with his disciples. But it focuses around the leaven. It was the second snapshot. Hopefully it was the second snapshot on the walk-up. I didn't pay attention. I guess I don't like it as much as I thought I did. No. Um, <clears throat> he's dealing with the leaven of the Pharisees, and he has this, this uh, interaction. He has a dispute with them, and then he kind of, from that dispute, he goes and he brings his disciples close, and he shares some very important things with them that are very important for us as well. So here's the passage, Matthew 16, and I will read the first 12 verses. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, 
When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we, forgot, we, excuse me, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? Excuse me. How is it you do not understand that I was speaking to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine, of the teachings, right, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you so much for this time you've given to us. We don't want to take it for granted. Um, Lord, we want to, we've assembled together to, to worship you, to bring glory to your name. I to acknowledge you that you are above everything in our lives. And on this journey, you are the most important. We've acknowledged this morning, Lord, that Christ is enough. He is sufficient for our salvation. He has accomplished for us what we can never. So, Lord, we have professed these things. And I ask that now as we hear from your word that you would truly honor it, that you would take me out of the way, that I would disappear, that let your word resonate in us. Lord, that is my prayer and my desire for us this morning, that we would know you, we would know you more. And that we would, on this journey we're on, Lord, that we would realize you're with us. So, Lord, let this, this word take heart in us. Let it resonate in us. And may it bring you glory. And we pray this in the wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we're on this scene. Jesus has, um, I think he was on the Sea of Galilee. He rides at this place. And we have a Pharisee and a Sadducee standing and waiting for him. All right? And Jesus' response to them, I think, is a little harsh. Anytime the word hypocrite is kind of like an exclamation point, right? Um, that's a harsh response to them. And you would think just looking at the passage that, man, Jesus, you know, come on. They're just there. They're asking for a sign, right? What's the hard thing in that? What's the, why, does, why are you responding this way to them? But we have to kind of understand what's happening, right? And my first point really is talking about the motive. This one I want you to write in. The motive is very important to Jesus and how we operate in this life, on our spiritual journey, the reason why we do what we do. Some things we would say that are good, these are good things, but if our motive is wrong, we would say, you know, Jesus would say, you're missing, you're doing it for the wrong purpose. And so here you have the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and it's important to understand that they don't like each other, right? So right out of the gate, we have these two groups together. Right? This, the, the Pharisees, so you know, were the religious leaders of the day. We would say they were very to the law. They were very stringent, right? They were letter of the law. You've got to follow it. Now, there's some things that they believed that you and I, as followers of Jesus, would believe as well. They believed in the resurrection. They believed a Messiah was coming, right? Even though he was standing right in front of them, they couldn't see him. They still believed he was coming. Um, they believed in, in the, the, the oral traditions and the written traditions. They believed in the Old Testament, right? 
especially the, the, the Torah and the first five books of the Old Testament. They believed in those things. You and I this morning would say, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking. I believe in that. But because of time, because of their traditions, right, they lost sight. And they, and they kind of lumped up traditions of men that trumped what the Bible actually was communicating, right? And as religious leaders, they should have been the ones going, you are it. You are the fulfillment of Scripture. We've been studying the Scripture. We see it. You're Jesus. You're the Messiah. <clears throat> and here he is standing in front of him going, you know what? Show me a sign. So that's the Pharisees. That's, that's kind of where they're operating. And Jesus is why he uses that word, right? You've lumped up um, all your traditions. I mean, he refers to them in other passages of the Bible as whitewashed tombs. Right? There's a great title for you, right? You look good on the outside, but there's death and decay on the inside. Right? So he referred, and brood of vipers, you might have heard that one as well. This, why does Jesus say this? Because they've set up their own traditions over and above Scripture. They've placed themselves above it. And here they are wanting Jesus to come and perform for him. On the flip side, you have the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were more concerned about the political order than they were the religious order. This is why they didn't like each other. Right? The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. You'll see that later in, in, in the Bible and in the Gospels where they come and try to trick Jesus with that question. Right? Who in the resurrection will you know, this brother's wife belong to? And, and Jesus kind of responds to those things, and he deals with those things. But here they don't believe in the resurrection. Excuse me. <clears throat> it's been one of those mornings. I don't follow the wind. I don't know if anyone's facing that, but it's like, I'm sorry. I may have to do that multiple times this morning. Um, so the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, right? Jesus confronted them. You see that in the Gospels. Uh, they did not believe in um, the oral traditions of their faith, uh, of those kinds of things. So there was some, some differences, we would say, theologically between the two. Now, the, the Sadducees were probably, they're much more wealthy than the aristocrats of, of society, but they were more concerned politically. They would align themselves and comp- compromise um, that's the right word, compromise their beliefs to get kind of their way. And they would work with the Roman government. Another reason they didn't like them, right? The Jews did not like the, occupy, the occupying force. They didn't like the Romans. So here we have this, this scene where they're most likely that this Pharisee and this Sadducee have been brought, have been sent by the Sanhedrin, which was their court, was where they all operated. The, the Sadducees were the majority vote, but typically had to yield to the Pharisees because uh, the people liked the Pharisees better, right? So here we have this idea of an enemy of my enemy is my friend. The Pharisees didn't want Jesus because they, they thought he was a blasphemous and a heretic. And then you have the Sadducees who didn't want Jesus because they thought he was going to overthrow the Roman government. So here's the scene, right? Jesus comes, he assesses it really quickly. This is what's going on. And their request is what? Show us a sign, but not just any sign. Show us a sign from heaven. At this moment, right, we have to go. We're 16 verses into the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Jesus has raised the dead. He has calmed the storms. Um, He has fed 5,000. He has fed 4,000, right? Clearly, maybe some of these Pharisees and and Sadducees didn't want eyewitnesses to that, but they have heard that. They have gotten reports, which is most likely the Sanhedrin's like, let's send two representatives out to test this Jesus. See if he'll send down a, a sign from heaven. We want an epic sign. Right? And you're kind of thinking, man, raising someone from the dead, that's pretty high on my epic scale. That's just up there for me. Right? But that's not good enough. So their motive in this is they don't really want Jesus to, to do that. They don't think, they're just trying to trick him. Do, you know, we're going to ask him something we know he cannot do, and we want him to perform for us. That's their motive here. 
That's what they're operating. And this is why Jesus' response assessing this is so severe. I think it's so harsh that he would attach the word hypocrites. And for us, so we're reading this and we're understanding this, this, this exchange and Jesus is how he's responding and dealing with this. What is our takeaway? What is our learning from that? All right. So right out of the gate, your first point up in there was, was the motive. And my sub point to that is desire God's word. How do we combat that? We have to desire. We have to truly desire God's work because I think there's at times, if we are fair to ourselves, that maybe we identify one side or the other. Right? We could say, and sometimes I'm a little bit, I've missed the intent of this passage, or I've missed the intent of this, and I kind of come down on that. And I think there's, we're just being honest and being real and being human. Right? Well, there's elements where you'd say, maybe sometimes I was a little harsh here, or maybe on the flip side, I was, I've kind of had this, this modern view, modernistic view, and maybe I was just kind of more concerned about the political light, or, or whatever those things may be. At times, I think we see it because we live in this world. Right? We operate in this world, and we come across uh, ideas and, and interactions with coworkers, and we have to navigate this. So how is it when we come and we, we, we approach Jesus, how can we safeguard? Right? When, we, when we pray and we desire to see God move in our lives, how do, we, how do we safeguard against having the wrong motive? And I think the important thing is, is truly desire God's word. Right? If your heart and your desire is, is, is God, I want to know you. Right? I may be off on this. Correct me. If, I, if I'm on this, man, lead me in it. If our heart is there, I believe God will honor that. We're not perfect. We don't have, no one has the perfect, great theology. Right? We're in process. <laughs> We're in working. That he who began the good work will be faithful to complete. He's at work in me. He's at work in you. And so we have to trust in that. But if our heart is to come to the Bible and say, you know, I desire to know you, I guarantee it's a different reaction from Jesus if that was their motive. Because there are some Pharisees who got it. You can think of John chapter 4, Nicodemus, right? And he has the whole question, how can I be born again? But he desires. And you see a different response from Jesus. So I believe that, you know, in this life, in this journey that we're on, we don't want to hear these words from Jesus. I'm just going to assume none of us want to hear the word, you hypocrite, from Jesus, right? So how do we guard that? We have to honestly and desperately desire God's word. Know it and study it. He's going to hit on this element later in this passage. This is what he's talking about, right? So this is, I think, is very important to safeguard from the, the wrong motivation. And from there, we look into, this is my second point, Jesus' response, right? How does he respond? The response is what I think I put in there. Look what he says. He immediately doesn't even address the fact of a sign. He just kind of goes in, look, let me give this illustration of the weather, right? When it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In, in the morning... It will be foul, uh, foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky. You cannot discern the signs of the time. And he goes on and says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Right? He's speaking to religious leaders. He's saying, You should know this already. That's where that line comes from. You should know, you've studied, you know about the prophet Jonah. But it's amazing, you know, if you look at Mark's account of this same interaction, it says Jesus sighed, right? They come and ask for a sign. They're trying to test him. They're in this dispute, and he sighs. There's, you know, a part of a characteristic where you can see the, the importance, right, of having maybe the right motivation, the desiring God for the right reasons. I think he honors that, and how he may sigh at times, when we just come for the wrong, the wrong reasons, the wrong motive. 
mean, what, what really is it? What are they really asking? And Jesus is saying, you know, look, you can look at the weather, and I, I love living in Colorado, and I, I feel really sorry for all our weathermen and women. I, at times I think I could guess better than them. That's what I feel like they're doing sometimes. Like, they're just guessing. They've got all the computer models. There's four computer, computer models, and it's pretty awesome in technology, right? You look at it, and you're like, whoa, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, they're like, uh, we'll just wait and see what actually happens. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. That's great. You can, uh, you can tell me it's not going to snow today, but it's Colorado. It could be a, yeah, it could be a 90 degrees or dump five feet of snow. I mean, it's just how it runs here. You're just going to roll with it. But what he's getting at, the idea is like you, we, you and I, we can assess. We can look at the weather and go, look, it's going to snow. I've had people tell me often, oh, no, no, Tyson, when you look at the mountains, you see this, you've got about four hours of snow here. And, of course, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. And in my head, I'm like, I didn't know that. You know, of course, they act like I'm seasoned, right? Oh, yeah, that's how, of course, it happens like that. We can do that, right? I don't know about you. This is how I kind of, I order my day. I look up and in the morning, right, I launched the weather app. Because in California, where I grew up, it took two weeks for the weather to change. I mean, it was like, a storm will be here in two weeks. Okay, I got time. That's just how it worked there, right? Especially in the Central Valley. Here it's like, wow, we could have a crazy storm in two hours. But so you're always checking the weather app, and you're assessing it and ordering your day. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? And Jesus is saying, look, you're smart enough to look at the weather and go, you know, this morning I can get away with shorts. Or, nope, I better grab my jacket, right? We're, we're intelligent enough to track those things and, and orchestrate our day. We have to. Live in Colorado. You've got to kind of do that. Then he turns around and says, but you, you're... you're not giving your, your understanding of the signs of the time, what, what exactly happening. And I think what he's getting at is, have you put the same amount of thought and structuring your day and your time and, and devotion? Are you giving us, you know, enough time to the idea of where you're going to spend eternity? Right? We would say maybe at times we think about those things. On Sunday I'm tracking those things, but he's talking in your day when you order. You're smart enough to see this, but you're not really giving enough time you're not giving enough understanding. You're not desiring, right? And that first point, um, desiring God's will or his word, we, you can roll that thing through underneath all my points this morning because it really kind of comes back to that. If we desire these things, we begin to see, and it, and it works in us, and it changes the way we look at and how we order our lives. And, he's, and Jesus is saying you need to give time to that. And the real, the real, I think the heart of their interaction here is what, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees were asking Jesus. They placed themselves above Jesus, right? And, he, and they're saying, prove to me, Jesus, you are. Prove it to me. And at that moment, they have placed themselves above God, and they have reduced Jesus to a street performer. And how many times, I, I'm not going to assume anything, how many times have we kind of done that in our prayer life? God, just show me. And I'm not asking about, remember, the right motive, God's tracking. My motive, God, I want to know you. Just show me. He's going to honor that. But if we come and say, Lord, demonstrate it out of the wrong motive, what, what kind of reaction are we going to have from Jesus? You're missing it. We don't want to reduce Jesus right down. We want to trust. Because the more we spend time desiring God's will, we realize, you know what, I can trust him. I sing that song this morning, Christ is enough. And if I know that, that he is enough, my prayer life is going to reflect that. I'm going to come and say, Lord, I know that you're enough, but right here my, my faith is, is struggling, right? My belief is struggling. Be honest, right? Be true. Be do this word. I love the, the one man who comes to Jesus, and I can't think of where it's at in the passage, and, and he brings his demon-possessed son to the disciples, and they tried to cast him out, and they couldn't do it. 
And Jesus, once again, I think in Mark's account, he sighs. He's like, ah. And he prays and is delivered. But the man responds and says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? In our journey, in our walk, there's times when I think our faith is stellar. I don't know if you've had those moments where you're just like, I know in whom I believed. I've got confidence and resolve in that. He is my Savior. And then there's times where we're just like, I want to go run and hide under a desk. Because I think the enemy's going to get me. Does anyone identify with that? Three of us. All right, I've never read under and hit under a desk. Came close. Four separate times. No. Right? But the idea is we have times where we're strong and celebrate. There's times where we're weak. And when out of that motivation, we come and desire God's will and say, Lord, make it known. Show me. He's going to honor that. But if we come and reduce Jesus going, hey, why don't you perform for me? And I'm going to place myself above you because you have to perform and show me and demonstrate it to me. Then we've missed the relationship. Right? This idea of relationship. He loves you. Right? He loves you, desires you, wants to show you mercy. And we have to guard those things. Now, in this passage, it's extreme, right? None of us, I hope, would ever come and say, you know what? Don't just give me a sign. Give me the epic sign, right? Rain down something from heaven. That would be outstanding. I want to sit back and watch. I don't think we would be there, right? I'm pushing the extremes of that. But I want us to be on a safeguard against it, right? Be aware of those things. Be smart in that. Be thinking about those things. And when we order our days and our, our lives, you know, where does the Bible fit in? You know, where does, where, does the, where does our prayer life fit in? Where are those things happening? We have to cognitively be thinking about that. And that's what Jesus, the heart of that, is getting at. Be mindful. And he says a wicked and adulterous generation. What are they, why are they wicked and adulterous? Because they want Jesus to perform. And he's saying, look, it's already been demonstrated. You and I this morning, we have the word of God. We have the whole New Testament along with the Old Testament. We can go back and read this and go, this is who he is. We can see this played out. We can see his trust. We can allow the Bible to speak to every element and area of our lives, right? Where we say, this is what it is. And we can trust him. And we can taste and see that he is good. And this is the very thing that God wants for your life. Try me, right? Try and test me. I'll be with you. Not in the sense with the wrong motivation, Right? We're not at this to prove or to discredit or anything like that. I know Ryan hit on that on the passage last week where Satan comes with that same idea, right? Let me test you. No, we don't want to come with that motive at all. We want to come with the resolve of knowing whom I believed, and I want to know you more. That should be driving in us. So here's the first of this passage, right? We have the motive, and I think how we combat that motive is desiring God's, God's word to know him, right? And we see Jesus' response to these things. We see Jesus sighing. We see the signs of the times, and then the weather becomes a great illustration because tomorrow morning, hopefully when you're checking that weather app, if you're like me, I'll be thinking about this. Ah, I'm checking the weather app, right? And typically in my morning, it does. I do check the weather before I open my Bible, but I do get there, okay, just so you know, all right? Then he goes on, right? So here, what's interesting is this exchange happens. His disciples are watching it. Then they hop in the boat, and they go on the other side of Galilee, I can imagine, this is probably a quiet boat trip. Nothing's recorded. doesn't say they said anything, but right, they probably picked up their wives enough to discern, Jesus is pretty heated here. He's pretty mad. I'm not going to stay out of his way. That would be my response as a disciple. Just don't make him mad because he'll do something. Right? I just don't make him, no, that's not the right way to be either. So here we go. Verse 5, let's pick this up. It says, now when his disciples had came to the other side, right? They go on the other side of Galilee, of the Sea of Galilee, and so then uh, they had forgotten to take bread. How dare them. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. Right? And then it goes into this, this other response of Jesus. So the first thing, my last point here is the warning. Right? We see the motive. We see Jesus responding to it. Here's the warning that he has given to his disciples, that he's given to us. And it's interesting, this, in, in all the gospel accounts, you always have Jesus doing his, his earthly ministry to crowds, right? They just got done feeding the 4,000. And then the more he gets closer to the cross, the more he, he brings his disciples together, and the more he becomes more intimate in teaching them. And this is kind of the beginning of it. Because in this chapter, you see Jesus asking, who do you say that the people said that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, right? And this idea that, of, of closer. And then he goes in and tells them what must happen to the Messiah, right? He's going to tell them here shortly. He's going to go die. Next time we come to Jerusalem, I'm going to the cross, right? He begins teaching that. So you have this element where Jesus is bringing them together. So this last part, the warning. You know, the first things that, that jump out and that I have is it's a command, right? Write that in there. This warning is a command. Why do I say that? Because in the Greek, as Matthew is recording this for us, Jesus uses two Greek words here. Harata, and this is kai, pros ekata. Okay? And both these are in the present active imperative. He is, which means a command. And the first one, harata, which, which really means vision. Give you, he's saying, disciples, hey, come here. I want you to beware. I want you to give focus to this. Be very mindful and focused. Give your intellect to this, right? That's the first word. And he says in prosekata, which means turn your attention to this. So he double emphasizes it, and then he says it again towards the end of the passage. So what is Jesus getting at? I was a command, right? I want you to be very mindful of the little things. Beware, right? Take heed and beware of the leaven. What is the leaven, right? It's yeast. Depending on what bread recipe you use, you're talking like one teaspoon to two teaspoons of yeast, right, for a loaf of bread. It's a very small, right, amount. Think of the idea of it creeps in silently. This little amount affects everything. Now, it's important to understand that it's not leaven unto itself that's bad. Because Jesus in Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 13, he's telling the people, what shall I liken the kingdom of God to? And he says it's like leaven that works itself through. So the idea is, you know, leaven, in, in a good sense, is good for us. When we study and we see God's word and we see it applied to our lives, it begins to change the way we view this world we live in. It changes the way we, we act and react, right? But bad leaven, right? Bad teaching, a small amount of bad teaching can ruin the whole loaf of bread. So he's saying, I want you guys to be very, very careful of the little things because the big things are pretty obvious, Right? The little things. I came across a story of a, of a company in the U.K. that and I think it was in January 2015 where a, re, a credit report was released, an erroneous report. Now, this company had, had spanned five generations, had 250 employees, an engineering firm, and they were, well, they were wealthy, but this report had gone out. It was, the company was called Tyler & Sons, and this report went out saying that they were liquidating. Right, and, and, and it was an erroneous report. It was re- released from another company. And as soon as the, the owners of the company figured out what it was, three days later, they figured out the problem. It was already too late. People had already lost, lost accountability. They had heard that. That had been released to, to credit agencies. All their contracts were canceled. All their, their customers were bailed because they were trying to maintain. And they concluded that in three weeks, the business, this, this 250 employees, 
established business that had been going on for five generations was ended. And they figured out the problem was the company that was actually liquidating was not Tyler and Sons, plural, Tyler and Son. A little S, a typo, a small little things. And it goes on, and they say, and the, I think the owner says, you know, it, it, a judge who was ruling over the case said, you know, if it was a big thing, it would have been obvious, right? If it's a big thing in your spiritual journey, if you hear someone teaching something that's really off base, those things are kind of obvious, and they jump out to you. But Jesus in this passage is saying, hey, be concerned with the little details because they have a way to affect everything else, right? Focus in on it. Turn your attention to it. It's vitally important. It's a command. The second thing I think out of this warning I see is, number one, is it, you know, A, it's a command. B, it can be misunderstood, right? What do we see the disciples do here? They immediately reason among themselves because we didn't bring bread. I wonder if that's one of those moments where somebody nudged somebody. Bring bread. You want to think that? That's just me. Because you don't think, you know, who's going to own it? There's no one coming forward going, you know what? John, Jesus, John did it. You know, no one's kind of doing that. But somebody's taking account, just as the disciples, right? And they reason among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, says this, right? Here's Jesus' response to this. Oh, you have little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves because you, you have brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves or the 5,000? How many baskets you took up? Guys, you were eyewitnesses to this stuff. How did you miss it? Nor the seven loaves or the 4,000, how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand? I I did not speak to you concerning bread. Okay, so in all fairness, let's not knock them too hard. You'd have to imagine they're the disciples. Here's the relationship, the rabbi, the disciple. Probably was the responsibility to bring it, right? Bring bread to make provision for the trip. Maybe they thought that. Immediately default setting, all right, I can see that. But you have to also know, in, culturally, the Pharisees did have a specific kind of yeast. They couldn't eat certain breads. They were so legalistic, right? And those letter of the law, they had certain yeast, right? So that is a legitimate concern when they say, you know what? When we get to the other side, don't get bread that's, that has that Pharisee yeast in it. And maybe they were hungry, too. I don't know. Maybe that's what, you know what I mean? Sometimes we get hungry, just think that way. It's about food. No, we were talking about Jesus saved. No, I'm pretty hungry, right? I don't know, whatever it might be, but their, their reasoning is kind of somewhat legitimate. And Jesus responds, what out of the gate, what does he say? How come you have no faith? How is your faith so little, right? And then he's right. Jesus, of course, is always right. You just, they just got done feeding the 4,000. Do you not remember this? Do you not remember that? How about the 5,000? How many baskets did you take? Do you remember that? How is it that you don't think I could take this bread and just kind of multiply it for us really quick? How is it that you misunderstood this? And the takeaways I see from this is, one, you know, I, I think the disciples didn't want to ask the question. Right? Sometimes we assume we come across Scripture, we read something I don't understand, and I think it's like, oh, I, don't, I, think he, I think he means this. And maybe in life, sometimes we have to do that. But I think what, what the, the driving element here is to ask the question. Ask someone. If you don't know it, don't assume it's something. Oh, I think it's this. I don't know. Pursue it, right? Here the disciples weren't willing to ask the question. You know, I came across this, this uh, Edgar Hoover was right, head of the FBI, and he had sent this memo one day to um, 
to all his staff, and, and, and he wrote on it and said, watch the borders, with an exclamation point and, a, and an H. And they all kind of started freaking out, like, oh, my goodness, watch the borders. What borders? What is he talking about? And they went around. They, they checked Canada, and they checked Mexico, and they're thinking, what's going on? I think we're okay. Today. Finally, someone said, why don't you just ask them? And they're like, no, no, we don't want to appear foolish. Right? So they kept searching. This went on for days, and finally someone got the memo back out, and they looked at it, and goes, he realized, because Hoover was very tedious in little things, that the memo had expanded, the actual written memo expanded the margins that he didn't think was right. So he told them to watch the, watch the, watch the borders on your, on your memo. Right? And so they spent like a week going, oh my goodness, we contacted all these custody agencies and we were trying to figure out what was going on. And he just was cared about how he actually wrote the memo. Right? And I think there's times in our, in our journey, we, we don't know. We no one knows everything. We're, honest, we're, on, we're in process. Ask that question. I remember working, I had a job when I was right out of high school as a grape inspector in Tulare County. Yes. Right? If your grapes made it to the supermarket, their sugar content had to be so high, I made sure it was there. Okay? <laughs> They gave me a county car even, get a county car. And I was like, I don't know, I'm only like 20 here. I'm going to, anyway, great respect. I mean, the guy who trained me kept pressing it, pressing the idea. Hey, if you have questions, no such thing as a dumb question, ask the question, right? Ask the question. He kept just pushing that, right? And you've probably had people in your life saying, no, 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 there's no, thing, no such thing as a bad question. Pursue further. That's what I'm getting at, right? When we get to these things where we don't know, pursue. Don't, don't misunderstand it, pursue. You know, in Jesus on, cha- on John chapter 6, He's doing the teaching, and he's got all the, uh, the disciples, and there's multitude of disciples at this point following him. And he says, you know, if, you, if anyone's going to come after me, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh, right? And clearly he's talking about his death, his resurrection, believing on him. And that's for these pious Jews had to be like, what? We don't touch unclean bodies. This is too hard. And they leave. They walk away. And this is when Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? Right? And of course, Peter, a stellar moment for Peter. Where else would we go? You have the words eternal life. And the idea is sometimes when we misunderstand, what can that lead to? Right? It can lead to mis- just not knowing, being confused. You know, I think we should press on, but it can also lead to us walking away. I don't know, right? Especially when we're new to the faith. So I think it's important when you, when you heed this, this command. Jesus is saying, hey, be serious about it. The little things, they're important because they can affect you, right? Don't, if you misunderstand it, ask someone. Get in a community group. Ask those questions. I have, when, I, when I rededicated my life, we spent a lot of time at a coffee shop with other college kids with our Bibles open. Didn't have a clue half the stuff there, right? Just like, look at this. Check this out. And we're just soaking it in. And over time, what happens? You get more of that in you. God works it. And he helps you. And he puts people in your life to guide you along. So I think it's important. Out of this warning, there's some elements of that in there. It can be misunderstood. Don't let it, don't let it be. And the last one here is it's done in love. I think everything Jesus does, if you go back to to. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he sends his son, right, that he would pay a price for us that we could never. And when, in the heart of this, this passage is, is the teaching. Why does Jesus use bread? Why is that his illustration? Right, very, very common. There's some cultural ties back to the manna, right? These, these Jews would attract all that and how God had uh, um, taken care of them and, and supplied food for them. 
right? And Jesus is saying, I am the central figure. I am the bread of life. And if we go over to John, I'll read this. I didn't put this up on the screen. I apologize for that. But I, John chapter 6, I'm going to read this. In 48, where he says, um, I am the bread of life. It goes in 49. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. You know, so why is Jesus using this illustration of bread? Because he's saying at the heart of your, of your, of your life, the sustenance, the very things that you need, not just for salvation, but from day-to-day life, right? From God, after his teaching, he's saying, I am it. And so as I titled this message, you know, beware, you know, beware of sourdough, really the, the, it's, it's more like don't let your dough go sour. Gee, if Jesus is this, if he's everything, if we come and we say, I can find forgiveness of my sins and the guilt that has been owning me, I can come to a place where I can lay that down and I can find true joy in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, in the midst of hurt. If I can find all those things, I can trust that he is enough. He's saying, put that at the center. I am it. I will carry you. I will walk with you. I will sustain you. I will be your, your I'll take the arrows. I'll walk with you through, through all the difficult things. I'll be someone who never leaves you nor forsakes you. And those, time, and those moments where you cannot go any further, I will pick you up. I will carry you. That's the kind of God we serve. And he's saying, I am the foundation to this. Don't allow, right, bad teaching. Other things creep in because they can lead you astray. It's like a ship right on its course. It only takes one degree off for that ship not to make it to its destination. That's the very little thing. So Jesus, in this, in this episode, right, what is, he, what is he doing? He's responding to the wrong motive. He gives the response and says, you should know. We know. So those moments when your faith is, is in doubt and question, come, you know, you know him. You know who he is. You know what he's done. And he gives us this warning. It's like he's bringing his disciples around saying, look, be very, very mindful. It's a command I give you. If you want to know an element of God's, God's desire for your life, here it is. He desires that you would take serious all the little details about his word. Don't allow the little things to creep in. And you have to. The foundation to all of it is he loves you. Right? He desires that you would know him, that you would follow after him, and that you'd be aware of the little things, that you would be empowered, right, to press on, ask a question, not walk away, because it's your faith.